Welcome to Fiction Forward, where our fiction is intersectional and our ideas are forward. Welcome to the first episode of Fiction Forward. In case you didn't know, this podcast is actually through a publication called Fictionist Magazine. Um, that magazine is about books and book-related news and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but we are our own podcast, and we don't want you to think that our um, obscenities and or extreme political views reflect everyone there at Fictionist. Because we have plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> So I think that we should probably introduce ourselves, since uh, none of us have ever met. Uh, That's not true. Kelly and I are best friends. I'm going to let Kelly go first. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm Kelly. I just graduated from Lehigh University, and I am a giant dork, so in my spare time, I do stuff like analyze media. (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, I, I can't sit down and watch sitcoms or read books or movies without like over analyzing everything so figured i would present my findings to you on this (laughs) very scientific thanks (laughs) i should also mention that i'm a journalism major too and through my journalism studies i have studied media extensively um not only representation uh but just like what makes good stories and effective communication, basically. So Jackie's also a journalism major. (laughs) I am. Uh, So I graduated a year before Kelly, um, but we were actually the same age, fun fact. And uh, I think we both took quite a few courses, Kelly more than me, that involved like gender and race representation in media specifically. So I think that that has helped us a lot. Yeah, it, um, specifically, it, it's literally all I think about, basically twenty four seven. All right. Uh, so basically, what you should get from this intro is that Kelly is much more qualified than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and what you should get from my intro is that I love Jackie, and she <laughs> is just as qualified as I am to talk about these things too. So, <laughs> oh, thanks. You're welcome. Um, so I am Jackie. In case none of you realized uh, that 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 is me. But I graduated in 2016 from also Lehigh University. And I currently work at a major newspaper in Connecticut. I am working on finding work. (laughs) Yes. Um, Basically, the reason that I am doing this and am very excited about it is that I love books, specifically YA books. And I really want the YA sphere to be more intersectional and have more like more representation and better representation and I want for people to accept that representation and celebrate it and I want more like own voices which is a hashtag on Twitter and it's very cool and you should look into it authors to get accepted by publishers and agents and I just am very interested in like delving into all of that (laughs) yeah it's just It's really important for, and we'll go into this more in a bit, but it's just really important for how people kind of view themselves in the world. So hopefully through this podcast, you'll be able to learn more about, one, why representation matters, what good representation looks like, and how to kind of call out 
and let people know like when they aren't doing those things so well because that can be hard too that's that's a hard thing especially if it's you know someone you don't know or your friends but hopefully we'll be able to give you the tools to be able to argue some of these things or at the very least we hope you learn something (laughs) learning is good kids we love learning Learning is cool. <laughs> Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card, Jackie. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I have a library card. Do you have a library card? I should get myself a library card. <laughs> you don't have a library card? <laughs> uh, it's been years since I've had one, honestly. I just, I don't know. I just like being able to buy a book and just read it forever. Really? The city of Bethlehem has great libraries, especially in northern Bethlehem. This is very true. I have a library card from Bethlehem still, and I also have a library card for New London. Yeah. How dare you? I'm sorry. (laughs) Get a library card. That's my point. (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of books, which, haha, it's almost what this podcast is about basically (laughs) i personally love reading historical fiction novels and that's like representation in that especially when dealing with history can kind of get tricky sometimes because there's like a certain level of i guess authenticity that has to be present for like a history thing you know like I, i guess a good example of this is mad men um, even though it isn't a book, I, I talk about, I think about a lot of media, so a lot of my examples might not always be book-related, um, but can definitely still be applied to instances of fiction, because, you know, it's all, most TV is all still just, like, fiction writing. Mad Men really accurately kind of portrays, like, sexism and racism in the 1960s without taking the power away from the characters that are experiencing that, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think that I have a literary example that um, is also YA. Yeah. That maybe some people might also know. It's a book called Passenger by Alexander Bracken. And it's basically a book about time travelers. And it's really cool and you should all read it. But also... She did a huge amount of research into this book, and it's amazing because she pretty accurately portrays, at least from what I've seen, I mean, feel free to correct me, but from what I've seen, it's really accurate because um, one of the main characters is a black man, and he is not from modern times. He is from a different era in which he experiences a lot of racism. Mm. And she writes from his point of view also during some of it. And it's just like, it's very nice because it's not over the top. It's just like, he knows that he has to deal with it. And so he just, he knows how to deal with it in his life. And it's just a thing that he has to deal with. And it's like, not super over the top, but is very well researched. And she does the same thing. Um, There's an Asian woman who looks very male at some points. And she does her character very well, too. And it's just, it's very well done. I like it. Read Passenger. I will, I will do so. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the requirements for having good representation can kind of change depending on the genre of books. So, like, representation in fantasy could look different than 
representation in historical fiction or representation in like crisis type of novels, you know, like Push or uh, Speak by Laurie Hall Sanderson, which we'll be talking about later too. Representation will look different in that. And basically like the larger goal of this for whatever situation is to just provide like accurate and well-rounded portrayals of characters that people can either like emulate or learn from in their own lives. Indeed. Yes. Um, You like more fantasy type of novels. I do. Um, Basically, I read a lot of YA fantasy and that's most of what I read. Although, um, since I, I also like do book reviews for Fictionist. I've read a couple of contemporary recently books that have been very good, um, but mostly I read fantasy and pretty much YA fantasy. That's it. What are some um, of your favorite YA fantasy books? Oh my. Okay. <laughs> Just gonna look at my bookshelf over here. Um, well, right now, probably one of my favorite fantasies is A Court of Mist and Fury, which is YA, but also has a lot of, like, adult themes in it, and there has actually been some controversy about it, because there's, like, a lot of sex scenes in that book, and they're very graphic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it is a really good book, like, plot and characters-wise. It's very well done, and I very much like it. Um, I also am right now reading a book called Mask of Shadows that's really good, and, um, Probably one of my favorite series right now uh, is A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, which is also technically adult, but it's very popular in the YA kind of sphere, which is what we call a crossover book. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you think makes it more appealing for young adults, too, even though it's kind of like billed as an adult novel? Well, V.E. Schwab, also known as Victoria Schwab, writes for YA also. Mm-hmm. So some of her books, you know, like people already know the author and so they want to read the rest of her books, but also it's just a really interesting book. Like it's basically set on the idea that there are multiple dimensions. There's three different Londons. There's a red London, um, a white London, and a gray London. And Kel, the main character, has the ability to go through to these different Londons, Mm -hmm. but most people don't. So it's very interesting. Magic is really interesting in it. Like the way that she portrays magic is that it comes from the blood. Oh. It's just really interesting to see because Kel does what is called blood magic. So yeah, there's a couple of different languages that she worked on for it. The world building is like A+. And also there's really great characters. Like um, one of the main characters, Lila, is uh, basically, I think V.E. Schwab herself described Lila as like, a cross-dressing angry pirate who loves knives or something um i that's not an exact quote but that's like pretty much that's a phenomenal description though (laughs) yeah she's like a gender bending uh i she doesn't refer to her as gender fluid because she says that like in that time in that world they wouldn't have that vernacular but Mm -hmm. She's generally a gender-fluid, like, angry pirate that likes knives. See, that's, like, the thing that I was talking about, too, like, representation in just, like, different kind of genres. Like, it's still kind of keeping in with that, like, historical accuracy of, like, well, they wouldn't have used this word back then. But it was, like, these people and, like, these type of identities still existed. Like, they've always existed. So it's really cool to see that put into the context of, like, how it would have looked at that time. Also, um, the prince 
in that book, uh, who's not really, he's more of a secondary character, but um, the prince is a, I'm not sure like how his nationality would really be described because it's a fantasy world, but he's like a person of color. He definitely has dark skin Mm -hmm. and he's also like very bisexual. (laughs) So like, it's just like a very bisexual dark skinned prince that just really likes having sex with like anyone. (laughs) It's really great. That's fantastic. Definitely read it if you have the chance. Um, but those are my favorites right now. Do you have any historical fiction favorites? Um, I always really liked the Dear America books growing up. The, the like, diary style Yeah. Ones. I read those. Those were my favorite. Because as, like, a young girl, like, I started reading those probably in, like, elementary school, I guess. I also was, like, just a voracious reader in elementary school, so I was, like... Not to, not to toot my own horn, but I was, like, kind of reading things that were, like, above my grade level for most of it. But, like, I started reading those books. I just, like, devoured the entire series because each each book was about, like, a different girl and a different, like, time period in America. And I think, yeah, yeah, it was all about America. But there was, like, one about a girl who lived through, like, the Dust Bowl, like, the Great Dust Bowl. And, it you know, like, it just kind of explored, like, what you know her motivations were as like a young girl living in the dust bowl like I just it was just stuff that I'd like never thought about before or there was another one about it was called the coal miner's bride and it was about a young Polish immigrant who she was married off to like an older man I think I have to go back and check the I'm pretty sure that's (laughs) it's been a while um I still haven't really kind of encountered that same thing yet where like their main motivations weren't really like oh romance like you know the main female and the main male character have to fall in love it's like no this is just like an expose of what her life is like this is just like what she does every day this is what she thinks about as like a girl in her position and I just thought it was so cool that it had those like different perspectives. Also, I'm just, like, a giant history nerd, so I like I like being able to learn about, like, different historical happenings. So Kelly is also a self-proclaimed uh, pretentious asshole, in case you were wondering. Precisely. I'm kind of snobby sometimes, but <laughs> I always try to be nice. I get along with everyone, so. <laughs> she says the pretentious asshole. <laughs> Well, well, actually, just <laughs> pushes up my glasses. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I know Kelly said that uh, that she liked those books because they di- displayed women as like having their own intrinsic things going on. Like they were not chasing a man; they just had to deal with their lives. So I think that maybe we should talk about some of the stereotypes that we're going to be deconstructing. Yeah, gender roles is something we're going to be talking about extensively for pretty much every novel we'll be looking at. Just because it affects, like, so many parts of our lives, basically, from, like, our actions, how we present ourselves to other people. Um, I know, like, one of my pet peeves for women stereotypes is that your main motivation should always be a man. Almost kind of like the reverse of like the manic pixie dream girl stereotype where like, you know, a woman exists in a plot only to like further a man's self-realization and self-actualization. I feel like that kind of exists in the other way sometimes too, where 
you know, a woman can only be like a complete woman, you know, if she has a man or, you know, if she has like romance or something. I don't know. It just makes me roll my eyes whenever I see it where it's just like, oh, come on. Like I get like, you know, like love is important and beautiful and great, but like women are multifaceted and there's so many other things that motivate us, you know? <laughs> I mean, like all the things that you just said, but also other than Manic Pixie Dream Girl, there's like so many other d- things that just make me roll my eyes all the time. Mm-hmm. Like just every time women in books are described whether like literally or figuratively as like the mother friend mm-hmm. or like the mother figure and it's like she's not your mom she's just a person yes she just wants to help you not die and if you could do it by yourself maybe she wouldn't have to try so hard <laughs> just because she's a woman doesn't mean she also has to be a mother or have motherly instincts you know Oh my god. I hate it when people say motherly instincts when they're like not moms and they're not talking about their children. Like, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, But also, like, lately it's been being talked about more, but things like using sexual assault and like rape and other things as plot devices basically like let's just throw this in to like give her some some trauma and now she's like, complex you know like yeah like no we we didn't want to make the effort to actually make this character three-dimensional so we're just gonna give her some trauma instead mm-hmm. which you know of course when used correctly it can be v- like a very powerful like plot point that develops the rest of like a person's character but like i just I don't know, like, a good example of this would be Speak by Laurie Hall Sanderson, which I mentioned a little earlier. And Laurie Hall Sanderson is one of my favorite writers, just because I, personally, I like writing that's more type of, like, prose and, like, uh, like, stream of consciousness style writing, just because that's kind of also the way, like, I think and I write, so it just, I don't know, it jives with me well. But, like, Speak took this traumatic event for this girl, like, I don't, for anyone who's never read Speak, just, like, the TLDR plot summary of it, this girl, Melinda, is raped at a high school party, and, like, she calls the police, you know, but at, anyway, like, the rest of her, like, class ostracizes her, because, like, she got this whole party busted, and she just falls into, like, this isolation and exhibits a lot of classic symptoms of PTSD, And the novel could have just been, like, a whole, look how sad this is, look how depressing, you know, just low and just kind of depressing and stuff. But, like, it shows her journey, like, moving through these emotions and moving through her life and trying to, like, open up slowly. And, like, the at the end of the novel, she, like, opens up to, sorry not to spoil it, but, like, I just want to let you know, it, like, turns out, okay. Like, she opens up to her high school, one of her high school teachers, like, a trusted teacher to tell him what happened. But, like... In that sense, like, it gives a character a roadmap, and it gives, like, readers kind of a roadmap for, like, saying, hey, I might identify with this same feeling or this, like, this same situation, but there's a way that I can get through this. There's a way that I can heal. You know, it's okay for me to, like, have these emotions, but, like, I'll get, you know, it's just, like, having a greater purpose to it other than just saying, like, we need to have this character be complicated and dark and that's just kind of like the end of it 
it's very delicate. It's kind of a fine line. And there's a lot of, there's a few bad examples that I can think of. Like, this isn't a book example, but I'm sure a lot of people watch Game of Thrones. And well, I mean, there it was is a, a book lot example, of... but <laughs> this example okay. specifically was but not this... in the book. <laughs> yeah, this was not in the book. So <laughs> it's just a TV example. But um, I know that probably a lot of people have already heard all of the flack sort of that the writers got when Sansa was raped on her wedding night. And it was sort of a big deal for the character, obviously, like, kudos to them for not completely ignoring it. Like, she does get very angry, and she does, like, rightfully get some revenge on him at some point. I'm not going to tell you what happens. Um, and people are angry for her, too. Like, people get very upset that she had to deal with it, and that, like, it was ever a thing that she had to go through. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying that that's bad. But the the thing that I take issue with is that Sansa, like, it seems like to the writer, she had to go through this in order to be more badass. But the thing is that Sansa actually, like, lived at court for a really long time and, like, was married off to someone she didn't even like and had to deal with Joffrey for a really long time and had to deal with Cersei and she had to deal with all these horrible people. And I feel like the writers could have just been like, man, Sansa has had such a journey. I feel like she's grown so much. Like, she's such a badass now. Let's, like, really show this. And they, like, she did not need to be raped for that to happen. And I feel like they sort of used it as an excuse, like, oh, um, she'll just get raped, it's fine. Like, like then she'll be a badass after that, because she'll, like, realize that she has to be a badass. And, like, first of all, that's not how trauma works. <laughs> first of all, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, that just didn't need to happen. So there's stuff like that, and, like, another simple thing that doesn't involve rape is, um, at least to my knowledge, I don't completely remember the book, in middle school... I read a quite popular book at the time called Willow. I don't know if a lot of you have read it because it's pretty old now. Um, well, um, <laughs> anyway, it was an okay book, but basically TLDR, the main character, self-harms. And she self-harms through the whole book and people try to get her help and it doesn't turn out well. And she's like very sad all the time. And it's just like a very depressing thing. And basically her whole deal is like, I'm sad. Don't make me less sad. I want to be sad. Mm -hmm. Sadness. <laughs> and then she meets a dude. And at the end of the book, she has sex with him. And suddenly all of her problems are gone. Like, oh man, look at this. I had sex with this guy and his dick fixed me. Oh man. <laughs> penis. The cure for all ills. Ah, uh, yes. Take one penis and call me in the morning. Your depression is <laughs> over. <laughs> So things like that. Not great plot building. <laughs> yeah, and it just doesn't help women relate to their own sexuality as well, too. You know, I just, I don't know. There are so many. The thing that I like about A Court of Mist and Fury, everyone, everyone needs to listen to this, okay? <laughs> the thing that I like about this book is that this main character is a woman she has good sexual experiences and she is okay with that. Like, even with a guy that she doesn't love, she doesn't ever say, like, she, he never takes her against her will. The author never goes that far. Mm -hmm. She doesn't love him, but, like, she can still enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. That's still fine. And then with her significant other that she loves, he was actually sexually assaulted and raped for 50 years straight. Holy shit. And he has hardcore PTSD from a lot of things, but also that. And she has PTSD from other, like, actual abuse and, like, 
like actual physical things that do not have to do with sex and they end up doing a lot of healing and having like very positive sexual experiences and i just it made me really happy that that was a thing Mm -hmm. because i feel like she could have gone easily to the side where like they both have a lot of flashbacks or like they both have a lot of issues with sex or even that she gets sexually assaulted also and like she has a lot of issues and i just feel like there was a lot of healing and she was very the character not the author was very um very open and helpful with the male sexual assault that happened and the rape and stuff like that for him and it was like very it was just really like emotionally healing and very serious like the subject was taken very seriously it wasn't no one made fun of him no one like ever questioned the fact that it happened because the woman was very conventionally attractive like no one said anything about that Mm -hmm. it was taken very seriously and i really appreciated it yeah as harmful as gender stereotypes are for women they're also very harmful for men as well and i just i really appreciate the fact that that was like included in that novel because that's just something you don't hear about a lot is just like male sexual assault victims like not to not to say that you don't hear about it because it doesn't happen it happens but you don't hear about it because people don't talk about it but also he's like he's like the high lord of night and he's like all he's like the most powerful high lord in history and he's super muscly and really badass and like it happened to him and he admits that it happened to him and people take him very seriously and it's just it's very well done in my opinion and also it's never questioned whether or not a woman can sexually assault someone or whatever like it's very explicit that like this is being taken seriously mm-hmm. that's so good like not it's really awesome. not good that like sexual assault happens you know but like it's good that that's there for other people to kind of identify with and you know, like, have that kind of sense of validation and and even not like feel if it isolated. hasn't happened, yeah, even if it hasn't happened to them too, to like understand that it can happen to someone like this very strong male character, like he can still be sexually assaulted, like that's still a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's also cool that he's also kind of presented as more of like a masculine character, where a lot of times in media and just, you know, in real life in general too, like masculinity and emotion, they're never like paired together. It's never explored that like men also have emotions, which is very, like men have a lot of emotions. They're human. Humans have emotions. Women have emotions. And, And a lot of times it's like men's emotions are framed as weak or unacceptable basically. I just see the way that that stuff kind of affects, like, men in my life, too, where it's like, look, if you have these emotions, it's okay to express them. But if you don't see that it's okay to express them from, like, other people around you or, like, other ways you see masculinity being presented, then it's going to get very pent up. I don't know. It's just not healthy. (laughs) Yeah, there's another character in the same book that is very stereotypically masculine and very stereotypically like white nighty mm-hmm. and he is actually extremely abusive and has tantrums and like hurts people and then apologizes later and like is very textbook abusive mm-hmm. and it's really interesting how like the stereotypical white knight is like horrifyingly abusive and a terrible person and like the guy who expresses his emotions and like 
has issues and talks about it is like very the perfect man mm-hmm. sort of thing in the book. Also to clarify too, I know that I've had to explain this to a lot of people in my life as well, so I think it's prudent to explain it here. Feminism isn't just about women too. It's about how the patriarchy and like patriarchal values in general affect everyone in society. So that like patriarchal value of like being very hyper masculine and not showing emotion, it it harms the men that feel that they're obligated to kind of act in such ways. And then it also harms women because you're not able to make emotional connections with people who don't feel like they can express their emotions easily. So we'll be talking about both men and women's issues, probably a little more about women's issues just because we are women and we know a lot more about that. But just to clarify, the men are in on this too. (laughs) And also um, feminism is great and the definition of feminism is great, but I think Um, intersectional feminism is like a really important thing to describe also because on this show we're also going to be talking about race stereotypes there's a lot I'm going to talk about them in a minute but I think that it's really important to understand that like this is an intersectional show and like you can't just talk about white women or you can't just say women in general because there are different kinds of women like Mm -hmm. we're not all white women there's black women there's latina women there's other kinds asian women all sorts of I can't list every nationality in the world, but there are a lot of different kinds of women and they all experience the world in different ways. Like you can't just put a sticker on it and be like, this is the the female experience. We're like, all it's women. gonna be yeah. different. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um Kelly is gonna take it away right now because she is the intersectional feminism expert. <laughs> yes, because this is literally all I think about all day, as I've mentioned. I guess a basic way to kind of think about this is If you're a white woman and you are able-bodied and you are not differently abled, you are neurotypical, white, cisgendered, you know, the whole kind of like normative in very heavy air quotes, (laughs) because I don't think there's such thing as normal, but the societal definition of like your normal like white woman, you're going to experience the world and interact with the world very differently than you were than you would if you were an Asian woman or if you're a trans woman or like a Native American woman with a learning disability or something. I'm just trying to think of like <laughs> examples <laughs> off the top of my head, but my point is it's not productive to and I mean we're we're kind of talking in generalizations now because it's an overview of what we're going to be delving into more deeply later but it's not it's not productive to just say like well all women experience this so this is fine so like you can't say like all women have periods you know that's a bit like not everyone who identifies as a woman might have a period you know like in addition to it's like really frustrating when you're talking in generalities because there's always going to be that one person that comments and they're like I'm a white female and I don't experience this specific thing that you're talking about. Or like, I'm this specific group of female and like, I don't experience this one kind of issue that you're talking about. And so it must not be real at all, ever. 
This especially happens when people are talking intersectionally, when they're talking about like the way, let's say, a Latina woman would experience something, and then a white woman comments and they say like, well, I'm a woman and I don't experience this, so that means it's not real. And that's another reason why I feel like intersectionality is really important. Like, you can't just be like, well, I'm a woman, and so like no other women are ever going to experience any di- anything differently than I do. Some of these stereotypes that we'll be covering, for one, is the ever-trusty stereotype of the angry black woman. This is like a huge pet peeve of mine. Okay, a lot of them are huge pet peeves of mine, but this one in particular. um, Fun fact about me, I took a class in college uh, about reality TV, and yes, it was a real class, Um, and we read books with like all sorts of different ideas about reality tv and we watched reality tv and we like wrote essays about it and basically we identified a lot of racial stereotypes and gender stereotypes that basically casting managers look for and then they bring in people that fulfill the stereotype and they leave out the people that don't on purpose so like if they cast a black woman they're gonna cast the most like for lack of a better word, mentally unstable black woman that they can find in hopes that she gets angry so that they she can fulfill that stereotype for that show. Mm-hmm. Which is really awful because it just, it makes, it makes it so that the only representation of black women includes that stereotype and there's very few, um, very few representations of black women that don't include that stereotype, which we're going to talk about why representation is super important in a second, but... Things like angry black women, fiery Latina women. First of all, fiery is just a weird word to use, but <laughs> like things like that. Kelly, do you have some other ones? I do. Whenever I think about this, my mind always immediately goes to representation of uh, like Middle Eastern women and just like mm-hmm. Middle Eastern individuals in general, like mostly always cast as like, like first of all, and this is... <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Um, <laughs> but first of all, this it always shows up in like, especially like TV or something. There's always like some spooky Middle Eastern country, especially in like political dramas like The West Wing or Twenty Four. There's always some like spooky made up like Middle Eastern country with like offensively. It always ends in like a Stan name, <laughs> you know, where it's like God, just be more insensitive, please. Um, Oh, they'll do it. But yeah, so you have the spooky Middle Eastern country where they make it spooky because it's always like somehow connected to like the antagonist in the plot, you know? <laughs> and if there is, like, so it's either like, oh, this Middle Eastern person is in the show, you know, we'll just cast them as, you know, the terrorist in the show and whatnot. So you get these like, Perfect. yeah, so you get these like really negative representations and just gets like compounded off every time because there's nothing beyond that. And if there is something beyond that, especially if we're just looking at representation of Muslims in general, there's always the good, like patriotic Muslim who's like, I'll help you stop the terrorists or, you know, like, but also like, they'll also experience like discrimination in the show and like most outcomes of that discrimination or like most reactions of like the other characters are like, well, 
that's just the way it is, but thanks for helping us. You're a good American. You know, it's just kind of like BS like that, where it's like a very, very narrow identity. Because it's not to say that there aren't people who are Muslim who are terrorists, but not all Muslims are terrorists, you know? Okay, and also most terrorists are white. Exactly. Like, if you want to look... Yeah, for quick tangent, but if you want to look at, like, who's caused the most problems... In just the United States. No, just States. like in the world, in, in history world, ever. It's white people. Like, <laughs> like literally like every problem in the Middle East is just white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm. just bullshit like that. And then like, what else? Oh, like Asian women being like stereotyped as like very submissive or I mean like Asian men too, like. They're just, like, emasculated in yeah. modern media. Like, they aren't presented as sex symbols or, like, desirable physically. And a lot of races in general, specifically women, are dehumanized. Like, they just become the bo- the um, bodily representation of a stereotype. Yeah. And they're not, like, their own person. Especially Asian women. Like, I feel like this constantly happens with Asian women where they're literally just there for wish fulfillment. Not saying that, like, authors and creators make them that way. I'm saying that people make them that way. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, it just ends up that the Asian woman is there for wish fulfillment because, like, people want to have sex with her, and that's it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's very upsetting. But on the bright side, you know what could fix a lot of the problems that we're having? (laughs) What, Jackie? Good representation, Kelly. (laughs) It's just so important as to how, like, people see themselves in society. Just the way that people are, for the most part, which is kind of shitty, but, like, most people are going to be less inclined to, like, believe things that they haven't, like, personally experienced or witnessed themselves, which sucks because we should be open to other people's perspectives and other people's experiences to be able to learn from them but like for some reason our society and i guess at least american society tends to value logic over like emotion or like you know rational thinking over like lived experiences and stuff it's like well where's your statistics on this you know like statistics are important for understanding the breadth and scope of an issue But at the same time, like, the lived and real experiences of people are just as valuable. You just need to give it the same authenticity, you know? And speaking of that, we can give people lived and real experiences, even through books. um, But there just, there haven't been that many, like, lived and real diverse experiences through books recently. I mean, Kelly has a lot of statistics on this. Um, But there's just a real lack of diverse literature, especially in YA. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me see, where is this? So we, or I should say Jackie, because Jackie is great, showed me this website called WeNeedDiverseBooks.org. And in their FAQ section, they have... You know, just kind of like some brief explainers as to why we need diverse literature, especially for youth. So, over a three-year period in the 60s, where about 5,200 children's books were published, 
only 349 books, or about 6% of those, had one or more African-American characters in them. That doesn't even mean that they were, like, well-rounded main characters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were just there. It could have just been, like... You know, like, obviously Tom Sawyer wasn't written in the 1960s, but, like, could have been that type of thing where it's like, there is just a black character here, but he is a slave and everything is racist, help. (laughs) Um, But then again, you have, like, other novels like To Kill a Mockingbird, which, like, take a complete opposite view to that, where, you know, it explores these very issues of race and, like, tension between, like, communities in the 60s so there's good representations too um and you'd think it would get better but in 2013 out of 3,200 children's books published there were only 93 about african-american people that's like three percent yeah and like i just want to say that yeah it's a different amount of books overall one was 5,000 and one was 3,000 but this is percentage-wise, 6% versus 3%. That's, like, literally half as many. Mm-hmm. And it's in 2013 versus 1965. Like, you would think that it would get so much better because, like, our world is perfect, right? But it did not. Yeah, and I mean, considering... And it's just bringing this out into, like, a larger perspective, too, like, talking about books about just with multicultural characters in them in general... Like, 40% of the population of the United States are people of color, you know? We're not, like, a white Christian nation, you know, as, like, a lot of people (laughs) would love to think. Um, Mm, The reality of that is far different. There are a lot of different identities in America, and that's those different identities aren't reflected accurately, if at all, in most media platforms. And, like, it says that... So in the 40% of the U.S. are people of color statistic, only 10% of children's books contained any multicultural content at all. Like, that's just so little. (laughs) That's just, like, that's just mind-blowing to me. It's just, it's so important to have that kind of representation, especially when you're younger, like, as a child or as, like, a teenager, like... You're just starting to understand the world. You're just starting to get a sense of kind of how things work and, like, maybe starting to ask yourself, like, where do I fit in society? You're, you know, as you grow older, you get, you're more aware of, like, your interactions with other people and, like, how that differs between, like, you know, like, depending on their, like, performed identities. And, like, you would think, I I think that some people might, might have this thought in their head, like, yeah, but, like, who says it matters to these kids? Like, they're books, you know? Like, maybe they're not really looking for themselves in these books. Like, maybe it's fine that a lot of the characters are white. Maybe it doesn't really matter. But there have been a lot of studies and a lot of articles that say otherwise. Like, um, on the same website, we need diversebooks.org, they have a whole section also about the benefits of children seeing themselves in books. And there's a lot of good, like, documentation on it that says that kids actually look for themselves in books. There's an article by the New York Times in here that says that Latino students don't find themselves in books and that that's an issue and that it it has a really profound um, effect on their self-esteem and their, like, like them seeing portrayals of themselves is very, very important. Um, But it's, 
It's also not just important for you to see yourself in books. For those of you who are wondering, like, but what about the white children? Um, <laughs> the thing of the, won't someone think of the poor white children? <laughs> um, but like, it can actually, there have been statistics shown that for white children, it's actually bad for them to not see the nature of the world around them. Same website, by the way. Um, it can distort the world around them and their connections to other humans if they don't see that, like, there are all these other cultures and this is, like, their ideas and how they generally behave. And if you only show them stereotypes or nothing at all, then, of course, they're going to have these stereotypes in their brain. Like, if they don't have any interactions with all of these cultures in their daily lives, then their only idea of what these people are like is through media. So it's either non-existent or a huge stereotype, and it's just a really big problem for everyone. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about, like, other countries, you know, and our awareness of other countries, like, my, I've never been to France before, but yet I- Maybe you should go. (laughs) I I would love to, but yet I can tell you a lot of things about France, mostly because I took French for six years, but mostly because Everything that I know about France has come from some form of media or another, whether that's watching it through news, whether it's seeing it through movies, TV, just really anything. All my knowledge of France has come from other people telling me about what France is like. I had the same idea about Italy. My knowledge was built around Italy the same way until I went to Italy, you know? And then I realized that a lot of things that I had been told and like American stereotypes about Italy just like really weren't true. Like Italy's a very, very conservative country and I didn't realize how socially conservative they were in, you know, just in regards to like women's rights issues, like race, like Italy's arguably like more outwardly racist than America is. Like, you know, America's kind of polite about it, where it's like, I'm not racist, uh, but, okay, but you like, know. I feel like the recent elections might... Oh, entirely. <laughs> but for that brief lull between 1965 and 2017, it was very, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to talk down about your culture, you know? Like, Italy's, <laughs> Italy's just very outwardly racist, you know? But I just didn't realize that because I didn't see that portrayal in American media. Just kind of like France, um, like a, a research paper that I wrote for one of my media uh, classes in college was like about how France uses multiculturalism to kind of influence its immigration, you know, like it's this like really weird thing that they do. Like they present like a very outwardly kind of multicultural image and like very kind of liberal image um but a lot of programming aimed at immigrants or people of color in france has like a lot of like undertones and themes about like you should probably not be in france and go back to your own country like a lot of like manufactured like nostalgia that like Mm. is literally targeted at immigrants to say like hey like we get that like you're you know, here in France, but, like, you're not a part of France, you know? Just kind of, like, yeah, it's, like, it's sinister. That's kind of messed up. It's really messed up. Yeah, but, like, outwardly, for us, we'd be like, oh, well, France has, like, a really, like, kind of diverse 
perspective, but like, you know, their like police brutality statistics are like pretty on par with ours too. You know, they've had race riots in the past couple of years, like against I shouldn't I don't know if like race riots is like the PC term for it, but you know, like <laughs> right. like protests against police brutality kind of on the level of what we saw in Ferguson here. Like very similar things happened in France in the past couple of years, but you don't like you don't see that through popular media representation of France. So bringing this back to what we were talking about with characters and stuff, if you see certain representations of characters, like certain representations and tropes and stereotypes of African-American characters, of Asian characters, of men, of women, and you're young and you don't have the outlet to interact with those same type of identities in the real world, you're going to build your understanding about those identities off the media that you've consumed. That was a lot. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that is all true. And it's all, I mean, I feel like just in practice, a lot of people relating to other people in general, not necessarily other cultures, is through social media. And I know that Kelly has some really good <laughs> me. thoughts about that also. <laughs> me. <laughs> Yeah, so with social media, a lot of the way that we use it, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we use social media to have a sense of, like, relation to others. You know, we want to feel like we're not alone in the world. We want to feel like, you know, it's it's validating to feel like, hey, I have this problem, no matter what that problem is, whether it's like, hey, like, I'm a sexual assault victim here's a support group for sexual assault victims or like, hey, I'm a racist white guy. Here's a bunch <laughs> of other people who want to vote for a racist white guy. I feel validated. <laughs> like, you know, it's all about like wanting to like relate to each other. So in that same way, literature and media in general, but like literature specifically also kind of acts in the same way. Like we see other identities within literature or media and it makes our own identity feel validated you know like I felt so good after seeing The Force Awakens right <laughs> Star Wars I love Star Wars but I never felt such like passion for it until after I saw The Force Awakens and just saw Rey being, like, this huge badass throughout the entire movie. Like, everyone's telling her, like, well, you probably shouldn't do that. And she's like, well, I'm going to go do that anyway. Same thing I thought after <laughs> I saw Wonder Woman. Even though, like, we could we could talk about Wonder Woman later. But, like, <laughs> there's a few things to unpack there, too. But just kind of, like, the general sense that I came out of, like, oh, my God, this is why guys like watching superhero <laughs> movies, you know? Like, yeah. It makes you feel, like, so empowered. And, like, yeah, like, she went and did that. Like, everyone was telling her no throughout the movie. Like, Diana, you can't do this. You're a woman. And she was like, fuck you. I'm going to go do it anyway, you know? <laughs> um, it just felt so good after that. And I kind of, like, found myself throughout the week thinking to myself, like, well, you know, if they can do it or if they did this, like, I can do this other thing. You know, just kind of, like, not, you know, super intentionally about it, but just kind of drawing inspiration from those characters 
to then apply to my own life. You know, I think another good example of this too for me is um, just Hermione from Harry Potter was my favorite book character when I was kid. My mom started reading me the Harry Potter books when I was in first grade. And then I carried on reading them myself. And I finished the last book in three days. Thank you very much. Um, that, was, that was a whirlwind. I don't think I slept or showered. But <laughs> but as, as, you know, little second grade Kelly really wanted to be Hermione Granger for Halloween. Because, you know, I was like the kind of bookish, smart girl, kind of like nerdy, kind of dorky. Like, I have like big, frizzy brown hair. Like, I didn't know how to take care of my hair when I was in elementary school. So it was just like, there were just so many things that I, like, as a kid, like, I looked at her and I was like, ah, oh, like, that's me. That's so cool. You know, like, I'm gonna, like, I could just imagine myself doing all these different things within the Harry Potter world, and I would, like, I would play Harry Potter on the playground with my friends and stuff, and, like, part of it kind of motivated me to do, like, better in school, too, because it didn't make me feel bad about being the smart, nerdy girl, even though, like, I would get teased about stuff like that. I was like, that's okay, they're wrong, because Hermione's doing this, etc., like, that's the end of the story. So it just felt so supremely validating for me as a child, and, it, you know, if I didn't kind of have that representation of saying, like, you know, it's okay for me to be, like, the smart, kind of nerdy girl. Like, it's okay for me to have this identity and feel comfortable with it. I don't know what I would be doing today, really. Yeah. And I feel like it's important on a person-to-person -person level for, like, you in general, people, to see themselves reflected in, a, in book characters and in media. But it's also really important for people to see other people in media. Mm -hmm. And I just... So recently um, on Goodreads, which if you're not familiar, is a really popular um, uh, book site where you can like leave reviews and see what popular books are about and see like lists of popular books and all that kind of stuff. And I was recently leaving my review for a book called When Dimple Met Rishi. Um, it's basically a rom-com about two young Indian American kids and like how they met and it's very rom-commy and it's adorable. And uh, so I was leaving my review there and I saw the questions. There's a section where people can ask questions about the books and get them answered. And the first question is, uh, sounds cute and very interesting. One question, though, would the book still be enjoyable to someone who is not originating from India? <laughs> and I just... I just, I had to, like, pause and think, like, why? Like, why would you even ask this question? Um, like, I don't... Excuse me, I'm white, and this person <laughs> isn't white. Can I be friends First... with them? <laughs> I just want to point out that the question was saying, like, would the book still be okay if you're not from India? But, like, this book is not even about people who are from India. Like, both of these children were born in the U.S. They live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Like, the book <laughs> is set in San Francisco. I don't understand what this person is even oh, talking about. That's, that's what I was going to say earlier. That kind of feeds into, like, that trope of, like, the perpetual foreigner, you know, where it's, like, no matter what you do as, like, a person of color in America, you are always seen as your like person of color identity first rather than like an American you know so like if you are someone who is Indian if you are someone who is from Africa like you are seen as like Indian or African instead of American first even though like 
and you know it differs between like because some people might identify in that way first because once again it's all about like what you're comfortable with in your own identity but even for people who are like yes i'm a mid-american like four generations of my family have been born here but like my great 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 grandparents are from korea so it's gonna be like oh so you're korean right like you know all about korea because you're korean (laughs) korea yay korean like (laughs) yeah and i feel like this question is definitely that like oh yeah um these kids are definitely like this is set in america but like they're indian so like can i enjoy this if i'm not indian like yes Yes, you can. Because first of all, that's what media is for. (laughs) Like, it's for being able to, like, see through someone else's eyes and experience someone else's life, whether it's some another culture or another gender or just another human being living something other than what you live. Like, the whole idea about it is so that you can insert yourself into someone else's shoes and, like, see how they live their lives. Yeah, it's about like that's- it's about expanding your own perspective beyond what you're familiar with. And like some of it might not make sense. Some of it might feel uncomfortable, especially if it's not like what you're familiar with, but that's that's growing. Like that's growth. <laughs> and also it's not even like this is literally a rom-com. It's not uncomfortable at all. You can like I am super white, okay? I don't know anything really about Indian culture except for what I've seen in media. And this book was great because they still used the the like Indian traditional words for certain like pieces of clothing or traditions or like gods or other like things that they talk about in the books. But it's explained whether explicitly or through context what the thing is. And it's just very easy to understand. And also it's really interesting to read about like I I don't know I just it annoys me when people are like oh I can't enjoy this because it is not explicitly my life like that's not what books are about Mm -hmm. and I mean that kind of goes back into the same thing like you know that person who's answering that question is like am I going to be able to see myself and identify and feel validated by these characters because you know that's what people look for And like we've been saying, like, that is one function of literature. That's one function of media. But, you know, it's it's also a tool for learning. And also, like, there are other ways to see yourself in media other than race or gender. Like, there are many male characters that I've enjoyed because I see parts of my personality in them. Mm -hmm. There are, are many parts of other characters that I've seen, like, their career path or just their sense of humor or their character in some other way. And there's a lot of really relatable parts of When Dimple Met Rishi that, like, you don't have to be Indian. Like, the the main female character, Dimple, is, like, a huge feminist and like she's super sarcastic and she's a coder and she's like just she doesn't care about Indian traditions really even though she has an Indian mother and an Indian father and the guy is very traditional and cares a lot about Indian culture a lot about his family but he's also like just kind of awkward (laughs) and like I could I could identify with both of them (laughs) there's there's so many other uses for literature and media than people are currently using them for. It's, it doesn't have to be as narrow. And other cultures don't have to be scary, you know? Like, you can... Like, white people get so spooked out by other cultures. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, though. And, like, I just... I don't understand people who are 
that agoraphobic that they can't read about other cultures or like understand other cultures like nope everything is white i am white that is the end of the story (laughs) everything will be Um, white forever (laughs) but also like i know that ya in general like the publishers and the agents in ya and also authors are trying their best to help out too um as a general community is really trying to become more multifaceted and more multicultural. Um, There's a lot of movements toward that. Um, In fact, the book that I'm reading right now, um, it's an advanced reader's copy. Um, You might hear me refer to it as an ARC, same thing. Um, It's called Mask of Shadows. It's basically about this badass person who tries out to be in this elite group of kind of assassins sort of called the left hand it's a group of people that serve a queen in this world it's a fantasy book and uh the main character in this book is gender fluid like explicitly they they dress according to their mood that day like what not their mood but what they what they identify as that day Mm -hmm. And they have to explain it to a couple of different people. And it's just a really interesting twist on the usual, like, oh, yeah, this person goes to a castle and becomes an assassin kind of plot. Like, this person has this other thing going on where every time they have a servant, they have to sit and talk to the servant and be like, hey, this is how the clothes situation is going to (laughs) go. And, like, don't worry about my measurements have a bunch of different clothes ready for me like I'm gonna dress differently a lot and you're just gonna have to deal with this and and like it's just really interesting and I think that the author did really well because it's not the main part of the character like they're not constantly thinking about the fact that they're gender fluid like in fact they don't even think about it that often because it's just a part of who they are Mm -hmm. um but it does get brought up and I think that it's just it's good that things like that are becoming a thing in YA literature, and I think that it's really great. Mm -hmm. So what we're hoping through all this talk of representation and intersectionality is to just make it easier for people to kind of understand and relate to each other, even if they don't have that direct real world experience you know so they're kind of like prepared like if you're someone who lives in like a predominantly white community and you don't really interact with like you know too many african-american people or you don't interact with like a lot of asian people you kind of have that basis of thinking like oh well you know these identities that i don't know a lot about you know they're still very diverse like it's just I just feel like it'll make society better as a whole if we could just kind of listen to each other and, like, authenticate each other's perspectives, you know? <laughs> I just wish we could bake a cake of rainbows and everything could be <laughs> like it was in middle school. And... She doesn't even, she go, doesn't here. even go here. <laughs> I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> Um, so that's pretty much what we're hoping that everyone and us, we get out of this mm-hmm. kind of podcast. But in the future, just so that everyone is aware, we're probably going to be talking more specifically about like one piece of literature, one book, one, you know, or two books, depending on where we're coming from that week. And we might also have some guests on the show. Like there's a few authors that we've been talking to that want to be on the show. There's like, Maybe some friends of ours that might want to be on the show. And we're going to try and uh, 
we're gonna try and make this fun. Yeah. But for now, we're gonna do this thing um, called rapid fire questions. Yeah, because it's it, sometimes we'll get to like heavy topics on the show and stuff, and ranting like personal experiences, but it's always good to end it on like a light note too. So. You know, because we'll be talking about a lot of, like, very sensitive topics as well. Like, I don't believe everyone feeling good. Also, you get to learn a little more about us, too. Because, like, I feel like we're kind of interesting people. At least I am. Jackie's boring. <laughs> I don't know. But thanks. <laughs> but our goal with this is we are going to try to answer as many random questions that will be kind of random. It's like this thing that we found online literally if you just it's Google random <laughs> random questions um but we'll see how I'd many say... we can answer and hopefully you'll learn a little more about us and we'll learn a little more about ourselves in the process too <laughs> indeed am i asking you first or are you asking me first do you want to ask me first sure so i'm gonna i'm gonna start out i'm gonna ask kelly as many questions as she can answer in one minute flat okay it'll be great i will try to keep my answers short (laughs) (laughs) okay all right and going when you dance you look like blank a white dad at a barbecue (laughs) who have you met that you wish you hadn't you (laughs) if you were famous what would you be famous for uh being cranky <laughs> what is the worst job you could ever have waitress <laughs> i hate talking what to is people. your favorite what's your favorite tv show uh brooklyn 99 okay what is the thing you are most afraid of men just kidding uh fascism probably <laughs> <laughs> perfect if you could paint anything what would you paint myself <laughs> Wow, okay. Um, what celebrity annoys you the most? Uh, fucking Miley Cyrus, honestly. <laughs> what is the meanest thing you've ever said to someone? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> We're out of time, though. Okay. So. I don't know. What's the meanest thing I've ever said to someone? What? I don't, like, try to go out of my way to be intentionally mean to people. Um, I guess, uh, well, wait, hold on. I have a good story. (laughs) I have a good story. Uh, At least recently, I was at Warped Tour, and it was the last set of the day, and we were all packed, like, really tightly in front of this stage for this band called Beartooth, and I didn't really know them too well, but my boyfriend was like, we should go see them. Anyway. He has this backpack on, and then there's, there's this girl standing behind him, and she has, like, this, like, piece of, like, trash, like, paper trash in her hand. And I could see her, like, kind of eyeing the pocket of his backpack. And I'm like, nah, she won't put it in there. That's kind of, like, that's that's weird. Like, why would she do that? But, like, I still kind of, like, kept watch out of my peripherals. And, like, as soon as I looked away, like, maybe ten seconds later, she just sticks it in, like, the little pocket of his backpack. <laughs> and I just kind of leaned over to her, and I was like... I was like, does, does that backpack look like a fucking trash can to you? <laughs> no? Well, put it in the trash can. <laughs> oh, my God. And she was just mortified. And I kind of felt bad because I was like, wow, it's really not even like that serious. But it's like, <laughs> why invade other people's personal space like that? Like, calm down, you know? Oh, my God. 
<sighs> okay, time for me to ask you questions. Here we go. Well, wait. Okay, for the record, though, Kelly has answered nine questions in uh, one minute. Ooh. Okay. Are you ready, Jackie? I am ready. Okay, here we go. If you could teleport, where would you go and why? Uh, Iceland, probably, because I've heard it's really cool. Nice. <laughs> what was your favorite cartoon show growing up? Probably Spongebob. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Morning, noon, or night? <laughs> uh, night. Ouch, I burned my hand at night. <laughs> How do you like your steak cooked? <laughs> Medium rare. What's the last film you watched? Uh, 27 Dresses. What's your favorite place to watch TV? <laughs> my couch? <laughs> I... <laughs> if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Not the U.S., let me tell you. Well, yep. <laughs> what did you eat for breakfast? Uh, d- nothing. <laughs> Same. I had some sad fruit from Wawa. What is your favorite cuisine? Uh, probably sushi. What foods do you dislike? Nuts. <laughs> What's your dream car? Um, I don't have one. I don't care that much. Okay, well, that's all the questions you get, Missy. Okay. Uh, you answered ten questions, so you answered one more question than yes. I just Dang it! <laughs> well, that means that I win the podcast. Well, other women aren't your competition, Jackie, so... Oh my god, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> so everyone wins. Mm, perfect. <laughs> um, so... But that does bring us to uh, the end of the podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, gonna wrap things up now. So in case you're wondering... Uh, we're not going to be doing this every week. We're going to be doing it every uh, every two weeks. Also, in case you were wondering what kind of people we're going to be on the show, pretty soon we're going to have a cool author called Catherine Valente on the show. Um, she wrote a book called The Refrigerator Monologues, which basically goes into the backstories of women in comics because often they're, they die or are assaulted just to further a man's story. So anyway, we're going to read that book. We're going to talk all about it, but not right now. Um, in the meantime, though, if you want more talk about literature, books, just anything, head on over to fictionistamag.com, which is our mothership, basically, for this <laughs> podcast. Um, and we got some, we're always supposed to do stuff about, like, new books that are coming out, reviews, just basically anything fiction-related that you could possibly think of you could read about there. So check it out if you're interested. (laughs) And thank you for taking the time out of your day to pretty much just listen to us rant about things. Yes, we appreciate it immensely. So, uh, so we love you and, uh, and bye. (laughs) Until next time.
Wacha! Finger guns! Yeah! Pachoo! Pache! Jacob, why oh do you keep God. saying that? I have no idea! Kerchoo! Um, alright, should we stop recording? Yes. I'm gonna stop recording. Yes? Okay, stopping. <clears throat> okay. Do you have a timer ready? <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm scrolling through these questions. And one of them is just naked? Question mark. <laughs> Always. 